Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Pikimai, kakimai, and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. Science is sexist because we are all sexist. From an early age, we are socially conditioned to think of science as a mostly masculine endeavour. When asked to name a scientist, Albert Einstein springs to mind more often than Marie Curie. Perceptions like these matter. In general, women will find it harder to be mentored, funded, published and hired, just because they are women. Enough is enough. It's time to stop thinking everything will be better when the old guard retire, and for us all to act now. Remember Nobel Prize winner Sir Tim Hunt's now infamous comments about his, in quotes, problems with girls in the lab? Or that shirt storm that followed the successful Rosetta mission that landed a probe on a comet? Or more recently, the latest statistics that yet again show a significant gender pay gap? In her book, Why Science is Sexist, Nicola Gaston, a theoretical chemist with Victoria University of Wellington and the McDiarmid Institute, says sexism in science is not only rife, but pervasive and systemic. And she tells Veronica it's because we're all making decisions and judgments based on unconscious biases. The stereotypes about science and scientists are actually very similar to the stereotypes about people in leadership, high-performing positions. And the basic mechanism by which sexism continues to exist in the absence of legal barriers is through uh, the judgments that we make about people based on stereotypes and based on whether particular people appear to fit those stereotypes well or not. So the, the general term that seems to encapsulate this is role congruity theory. So if you, if you have the characteristics of typical members of a group, you look like you belong, judgments of you in such a context will be more favourable. And so I think that the basic mechanisms and the way we understand um, stereotypes and the systemic kinds of discrimination that go on are very similar, whether you're talking about leadership positions in the workplace in general, or whether you're talking about science, also whether you're talking about sexism or, or racism for that matter. The mechanisms and the, the role that unconscious bias plays, which is just these biased judgments that we make based on these stereotypes, which we're kind of aware of. We don't necessarily think that we're making judgments based on them, but when you look at data, when you look on average at the way a large number of people make decisions, you see that these stereotypes are actually very, very obvious um, in that data. You keep saying we, implying that this isn't about men being sexist against women. Not at it's all. all of us, really, mm, isn't it? That's the most important thing for me to have recognised in all the reading I've done. Um, and I think that's actually the, the aha moment for me in, in reading the psychological literature is actually learning that unless you take ownership of the problem, you are part of the problem. Um, and so this is a sort of a circular logic there. In order to n become not part of the problem, in order to fix it, you have to recognise the part that you play in it. This is what makes it systemic. Uh, it's what makes it a really hard problem to solve. But I do think there's something quite reassuring about knowing that we all have it in our control to, to recognise these behaviours, mechanisms, the, the flaws in our own judgement and um, use that knowledge to actually improve the kinds of judgments that we make and improve our decision making and improve in an objective way our, our performance as individuals. Tell me a bit about some of the studies that you highlighted in your book and you just used the word 
objectivity or objective. And that reminded me of one particular study, which I thought was quite telling, really. Talk me through some of the recent research that's actually been done into how those biases play into it. So there's a, a study which looks at uh, the comparison of, of two different CVs and how uh, the evaluation of CVs is affected by gender. And so the study which looks at objectivity as, a, as an idea directly is not particularly to do with science. It's another male-dominated profession, which is the police workforce. And so the study looks at two different CVs um, of an applicant for a job as a police chief, and one of the CVs uh, shows that the applicant is more educated, has better qualifications um, in that sense. The other CV is also very applicable for the job, but instead of higher education, there is a higher degree of experience, practical experience for the job. And so then the gender at the top of the CV is, is switched simply by changing the name. So. Um, either so the, one time it's a woman with more experience yes. or education and vice versa. Exactly. Um, and so what's interesting is that the male candidate is systematically preferred, regardless of which CV is, is the male candidate. And the participants in the study are asked to justify why, and so they'll say, well, because it's the more educated or because it's the more experienced uh, candidate. Because, of course, nobody wants to say it's because it's the male candidate. And probably the people in the study aren't even aware that that's what's biasing their judgment. They are truly believing that, that they're making the judgment based on actual details in the CV. But in effect, they're rearranging their criteria afterwards yes. and make the decision based on some exactly. of those unconscious biases and then make it all fit, as we all do with all sorts of things, really. Absolutely. And I think once you start reading through some of the scenarios in the literature, you recognise these things about you know the, the limitations that come into play when we make decisions. So the, the title of that study is actually Constructed Criteria. So it's exactly what you said. They're constructing the criteria after the fact. Um, but it's, it's very positive in one way because what they do is they turn that around and they say, now tell us what criteria you're going to use and then make the decision. And under those conditions, just turning around the, the order that they ask the questions in, uh, a lot of the bias goes away because people say first, well, I, I value education more or I value experience more, and they actually follow through on what they've said initially. So in terms of fixing the problem, at least as far as the hiring process goes, mm -hmm. that would be one yep. relatively straightforward step to take to yep. just determine beforehand yeah, I mean, good, good hiring processes in HR. I mean, this is hopefully why we have HR professionals who, who know um, some of what it takes to have a good process around hiring and what, what doesn't look like a good process. But it is interesting how our own judgments and our own evaluation of our judgments comes into play as well. And so that's the, the final part to the study, which is where people are asked to um, evaluate the extent to which they consider themselves to be objective it's a really interesting uh, demonstration and it really struck me when I read it because the people who consider themselves to be most objective are actually making the poorest decisions or the most biased So that's a self-assessment. People it's who a self -assessment. think of themselves as being objective yeah. show or turn out to be the most biased. Yes. And it is a really interesting demonstration, I think, in the context of science, even though that, that particular study wasn't directly related to science, simply because of the role that objectivity as a value plays in the scientific community and in different scientific disciplines. So would that pre-select people who self-assess themselves as highly objective I into the science profession? Sorry. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen any data on it, uh, but I, I would imagine very easily that that is the case. It's why we value science. Science should be objective. It should be discovering and um, affirming and, and demonstrating some sort of ob- objective truth. If you can't measure the same thing in different places or at different times under the same conditions, then you're not really measuring anything that's useful information. So science does insist on some sort of objective reality as the basis for everything that we do. And aspiring to be able to make objective measurements and come up with some sort of objective truth is is very much part of the scientific process. I would probably prefer to use the word evidence there because I think there's a growing recognition that objectivity really is not something yes. that's achievable. Yes. And even in the sciences, I think people I think that's absolutely are coming true. around to that. Uh, but evidence is something different. You know, If you yes. have data, if you have evidence, then that is what you will base yeah. your interpretation on until such time that you get evidence in contrary Absolutely. or different kind of evidence. I, I completely agree with that, but it, it is just this, this notion that I think is still very persistent in the scientific community that that there is some sort of objective truth. Now, the reality, of course, is actually that objectivity looks a little bit different depending on how you look at it, depending on what you what you think of the idea, and different scientific disciplines do that a little bit differently as well. The ratio between men and women differs in different areas of science. Why do you think that is? And I'm thinking, you know, I went through biology. We started out pretty much 50-50 in year one. It changed um, over the course of just the basic degree, and it Mm. certainly changes when you look further into tenured positions, leadership Mm. positions, even starker in physics, chemistry. Why is that? There's a bit of evidence that looks at this. Um, One of the papers that's most convincing is actually very recent. It just came out um, about a year ago, I think. Uh, It was published in Science. And that looked at the relationship between the beliefs that scientists in different disciplines or or scholars in different disciplines, actually, it applies to the humanities as well, um, have about the importance of innate talent in their own discipline. And... What's very, very striking is that the proportion of women in the discipline decreases dramatically and systematically as the people in that discipline believe that innate talent is important. It sounds like those unconscious biases are also self-directed. We have them against others, but also we have them against ourselves and thinking that I can't go into a particular area because... I haven't got what it takes, whatever it is that Mm. it takes. And I think what I would say about that is that I don't know that it matters. So you can interpret the data different ways. You can say it's a woman choosing not to go into those fields or or they're being excluded because they're not seen to have the innate talent. And it doesn't really matter in the sense that in either case the judgments being made are not good judgments. There's no reason to believe that women have less innate talent in any of these disciplines. If it's really just a reflection of our stereotypes and our unconscious biases, then knowing that has to be the the way forward. All right, let's talk about the way Mm. forward. How do you fix this? In science, if we focus on the sciences in particular, how much has history to do with it? The fact that at least natural sciences used to be the kind of natural philosophers and they used to be people who were from families who could afford to do that, Mm -hmm. tended to be men... Where do you start? Not trivial at all. You have to start by recognising that these selection processes, whether it's self-selection or otherwise, are 
not producing the best outcomes. And so there does need to be a recognition that the best outcome in the absence of any evidence to the contrary will be 50-50 representation of men and women and proportionate representation of, of different ethnic groups. That's a really key point, I think, because otherwise you seem to get hung up in these arguments about well, we've got these processes that are designed to select on the basis of merit and therefore we can't change the process because we have to prioritise merit. But actually, if it's clear that that's not what you're doing, then sometimes you should be willing to change processes. That's not quite the same as saying that you need to have quotas, but I think you need to reassess very carefully arguments against quotas on the basis that you won't achieve merit by having quotas. That was Nicola Gaston, whose book Why Science is Sexist is published by Bridget Williams Books. It has led to a successful crowdfunding campaign to fight the issue, and you can find out more about that on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.